coming up on the show today, the DA delivers a docket of corruption allegations against Paul Mashatile to the president. A dentist testifies at the Senzo Miwa trial. Parliament is looking for a deputy public protector. Who do you? The latest on the Overstrand blaze. And it's Friday, so sports and good things too. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. Uh, we are watching a number of stories for you. Uh, that, story, that story in the Eyewitness News Bulletin about the Deputy Public Protector. So they are looking for a Deputy Public Protector. You, of course, need to have um, a, uh, you need to be admitted as an attorney or as an advocate or have 10 years experience, right? Uh, so you could have been working as um, an academic, as an example. Is this something you would consider doing? Would you consider going into public service if you've been working as as a lawyer or if you've been working as an academic? And also consider the office of the public protector, what it has been through over the the past little while as well. Is this something that is open to you? Uh, Send me a WhatsApp voice note, 072-702-1702-072-567-1567. And then, of course, it is a Friday, so sports and good things too. We will preview that Bafana Bafana game against Cape Verde uh, which is happening tomorrow night. What are your predictions? We do love a good prediction on the Madeira report. Don't worry, Tola Keller will be here. She will tell us what she thinks about that and we will hold her to it. Um, but she's been pretty good so far. It depends which version of Tola Keller's predictions you like to believe and which one she's he sticks to. Uh, but send me a WhatsApp voice note on that too. 072-702-1702-072-567-1567. The Democratic Alliance leader, John Steenhuisen, is delivering a docket of corruption allegations against Deputy President Paul Mashatile to the office of the president. So he's going to Cyril Ramaphosa's office and is saying, hey, do something against your deputy president. You need to fire him. You also need to instruct the special investigating unit to investigate him. And this follows the revelations about an ostensible patronage network with Mashatile at the center and covered by News 24 investigation series, Mashatile and Mask. Do you think anything is going to happen from that? Do you think the president will act against his deputy president? What lessons have we learned from this in the past. Let me know what you think about that. Well, let's start with the Senzo Miyua trial because that trial within a trial is now finally drawing to a close. We're finally, um, hopefully, going to have some kind of decision soon on whether or not those can, confessions can be admissible. Khomoto Modise, Eyewitness News reporter, following that for us. Khomoto, good afternoon to you. Um, I understand that a dentist who examined accused number two, Bongani and Tanzi, was due to take the stand. Did that happen? Yes, Mandy. Um, Dr. Tabangsogwe is actually currently on the witness stand. And he's testifying on his uh, dental examination of Bongani and Tanzi in June 2020. This is just days after his arrest. And the reason why police took Tanzi to a dentist for examination it's because one of the descriptions that were given by the people that were in the house when Senzo Miura was murdered is that uh, one of the intruders had a gold tooth at the time. That was, of course, in 2014. And so police took Bongani Danzi uh, to the dentist uh, during their investigations to determine if he had ever had a gold tooth and if he'd had it removed. That's because the Bongani Danzi that we have currently in the dock has no gold teeth. 
Um, and so Dr. Sokwe actually uh, just uh, told the court that upon his examination, uh, two things came out from it. Firstly, there was no indication that Bongani Danzi ever had a gold tooth. Um, and so he says that his examination said that there was no prosthodontic work done on Danzi, so no gold teeth ever um, put in or taken out. But also secondly, his examination, which included the examination of the skull, the neck, and the upper body, also showed that there was no trauma inflicted on Bongani Danzi, which is important because Danzi claims that he was beaten and assaulted by police, coerced in order to sign a confession. So, Khoboto, is the suggestion here that this is a case of mistaken identity or if it's a different Bongani and Tanzi that they are dealing with? Well, you know, we know that according to the state, uh, there were two intruders that entered um, that home. And so, you know, of course, there's a second intruder. The state's case is that that second intruder is accused number three, Carlos Mube. They also believe that that intruder is a gunman, was a gunman as well. And I do know that looking back at records, it seems as though the description that was given by the people in the house was that the person with the gold tooth was the gunman. And my understanding of the state's case is that the gunman is Mutobisu Mube and not Bongani Dant. I think then it will be interesting to see at, uh, at a later stage I think it's likely to be in the actual trial, in the male Tremaine trial, when we deal with the actual merits of the case, to see whether Mtobi Shumube ever had a gold tooth. And so the fact that Bongani Danzi didn't have a gold tooth really doesn't exonerate him or doesn't put him out there at this stage. And then are we nearing the end of this trial within a trial? I understand today is the last day. What does that mean now? Does the, does the judge make a decision? How does this happen? No. So we are nearing the end, or we are at the end of the tra- uh, the state's case in the trial within the trial. But like oh, local they, trial, So there's still the, uh, yes. like a whole response <laughs> from all of the accused. Yes, so the defense now needs to make their own case. And uh, what we're likely to see, because we've heard the defense constantly saying that, you know, the accused will tell you, Mungani Danzi will tell you, Mungani will tell you, the sense that we're getting is that the, the, uh, the accused will then take the stand. Hopefully, sometime next week, they will take the stand and make their own cases, and then the state will have to cross-examine them, and only then will we be at the end of the trial within a trial. Sure. Okay. Khamotso, thank you very much. Khamotso uh, Modise, Eyewitness News reporter with the latest from the Senzo Miyua trial, the great mystery of the gold tooth. Let's have a listen in to what's happening there at the moment. There for at least more than um, give and take, 20 years um, if since the patient has been examined. So they are supposed to be kept in the database. After 20 years, if the patient never returned to the institution, uh, that's when most of the time they say that they do have the right to maybe take it and put it in somewhere in storage, but we keep them at the institution where we're operating because we have the belief that patients are supposed to come back for their regular dental checkups once every six months, um, if they can. So this is the, the, the standard form that we use. You know, from a system in Sayo, you're going to look over and say, I'm going to go back and I'm patient signature. Was a assigned age, it eighty, it twenty two, that you know, twenty twenty, nine and our Kazoyoga, Uguti sing in Chayomzali, Umago, Gutige, the patient Layoga, Umduanagi, Osemane, Ugominyagage, Yaki Nagi, Conalapena, the system, Namagi window, and a seven Zelabio Nagi, 
so that's uh, what's happening right now in the Senzo Miwa trial. That feed is courtesy of the SABC. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Let's stay in the courts in the Joburg High Court. The trial continuing of a murder accused pediatric surgeon, Professor Peter Beale, who's been accused of reckless conduct that results in the deaths of three children that he operated on. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, is looking at that one for us. Bernadette, uh, for most of the week, we've had the same witness on the stand, another pediatric surgeon. Um, is that still the case today? It is. <coughs> It is still the case today, Mandy. He is still on the stand. His cross-examination has just wrapped up, and he's now being re-examined state, and we are expecting for his entire testimony to be finished today, finally. It has been a very long run for this witness. What ground has he been covering today? So what we did hear um, quite a lot of this morning's proceedings focus on was You'll remember that we're not allowed to to name the children involved in this case or their families, but one of those children was a 10-year-old boy, and Professor Beale is accused of misrepresenting to that child's parents that he had something called intestinal metaplasia and so required surgery, which then turned out to be fatal. And this was when a biopsy hadn't actually indicated that this child did have this condition. It had actually indicated the opposite. Now, Beale's further accused of having left the hospital after the child's surgery, despite the fact that he had suffered various complications and ultimately required a chest strain. Now, as a result of Professor Beale having left the hospital, it's understood that the insertion of this chest chest strain was ultimately left to the anaesthetist in the case, Dr. Munchie. Now, we'll also remember that Dr. Munchie was originally charged alongside Professor Beal, but has since been murdered, and so is not in the dock anymore, of course. Um, But much of what today's proceedings focused on, really, was whose responsibility the insertion of that chest strain actually was. The current witness has insisted that the status quo is that the surgeon inserts a chest strain. He says he's never seen an anaesthetist insert a chest strain, um, even though medical students are taught fairly early on to do it. He himself, as a pediatric surgeon, prefers to do it himself because he knows which landmarks to look for and where exactly to do it without causing any further complications. What we've also heard sort of in closing from Professor Beale's counsel is him putting to the witness that almost all of the complications in this specific child's case, at least, actually fall within the responsibility of the anaesthetist, Dr. Munshi. Um, and this witness has, by and large, actually agreed with that, save for the fact that he says Beale, prior to the surgery, did inform the parents that their child had a condition that he did not have. Benedict, thank you very much for that. Uh, Benedict Wicks, EWN reporter, giving us an update there on that uh, trial of Professor Peter Beale. Isn't it crazy how you have a throwaway line halfway through a report saying, oh, actually, the anaesthetist was on trial here, but he was murdered? Because that's exactly what happened, right, in 2020 when anaesthetist Dr. Abdulhay Munshi was shot dead in Joburg in very much what emerged to be a, a targeted hit. It's just crazy to think that, oh, that's just, that's just normal. That just happens. That's just what happens. 702. 702. Mandy Weiner. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. 
So as I told you at the start of the show, the uh, Democratic Alliance is demanding that President Cyril Ramaphosa fire Deputy President Paul Mashatile and instruct the Special Investigating Unit to uh, begin an investigation into him. There has been that uh, report by News24 Investigations, the series called Mashatile Unmasked. So today, the DA leader, John Steenhuisen, is delivering a docket of corruption allegations against Paul Mashatile to the office of the President. John Steenhuisen joining us now to speak about this. John, good afternoon to you. Thank you for, for your time. What exactly is it that you're doing today? Uh, well, thank you, Mandy. Good to be with you and good to be with the listeners. We have dropped off a dossier containing the serious allegations uh, that emanate from the not only the Mashatili and Mars, but several other investigations, as well as some parliamentary questions, etc., that we have been putting in around uh, various contracts and some investigations we've been doing in Gauteng into a dossier to deliver to the president's office because the president is conveniently trying to pretend that this issue doesn't exist and is feigning ignorance about it and dodging questions about his deputy president. Um, what By delivering the, doc, the dossier now, the president can no longer deny he's not aware of the situation and would need to start making some public pronouncements and take action. Well, maybe he doesn't have a News24 subscription, so you've, you've maybe helped him. But in all seriousness, what, is he, what do you expect the president to to do um, because he'll just continue saying that uh, he doesn't need to act. Is this a matter for authorities rather to investigate? Well, of course it is, and they will investigate. But the reality is, and if you cast your mind back to um, President Thabo Mbeki's action against his then deputy, when the allegations around the Shabir Sheikh matter broke, um, he removed his deputy president Obviously, there were consequences of that. But nonetheless, the president appoints the deputy president and the president removes the deputy president. He serves at his pleasure. But there's a bigger issue here, Mandy, and it goes back to another broken promise the president made. Five years ago, he promised all of us lifestyle audits for all members of his cabinet. Had those lifestyle audits been in place and that had not been an empty and broken promise, we could probably have prevented the situation that we see now. But we're now about to end the term of office and not a single member of the executive has undergone a lifestyle audit. And lifestyle audits are specifically designed to be able to get to the bottom of things that Mr. Mashatili is now facing. How do you finance these properties you live in when you, you know, you're declaring your income as X? How do you live this multi-billionaire playboy lifestyle on, on this income? And had those been in place, I, I think we could have avoided this. So I think there is some, there is some responsibility the president now needs to take over and above his duty as president, given the promise he made to South Africans. Mm. I also think it's impossible for him to say that he's leading the fight against corruption when right next door to his office, it's happening under his, under his nose and he pretends as if nothing is going on. One of the other requests you have is for the Special Investigating Unit to launch an urgent investigation. Uh, are you satisfied with the way that law enforcement authorities are, are dealing with this? Um, is, is, is that something that needs more pressure to well, generally, uh, I think the SIU uh, you know, are one of the better law enforcement agencies. Obviously, you know, I would prefer to have the scorpions rather than the hawks. And one of the things we'll reintroduce when we get into government is bring the scorpions back, precisely because of their multidisciplinary ability to be able to combat corruption. Um, but certainly, our experience with the SIU has been good. It's a bit of hit and miss with SAPs. You get some investigations that have been very good others that have uh, you know, not, not even proceeded from the first base. But I do think that there is a duty here on law enforcement agencies, given the seriousness of the allegations and also given who we're talking about here. This is not 
you know, some low-flying businessman. This is the deputy president of the Republic of South Africa. And I think there is a duty to you know, prioritize a case like this and to get to the bottom of it as quickly as possible. If I look at the work, that, that incredible work that News 24's journalists have done, people like Carl Cowan and others, um, it's really been very thorough. They've tracked bank accounts. They've followed paper trails. They've been able to geolocate and track where people were. It's pretty damning and pretty conclusive. And it is amazing to me that the president has been allowed to simply just skate on along as if nothing has happened. And we really have seen this movie before. John, thank you very much. Uh, John Steenhuis and the leader of the Democratic Alliance explaining that, why they've decided to deliver a docket of corruption allegations against Deputy President Paul Mashatile to the office of the president. Do you think that this will have the desired effect? Um, is it the right route to, to follow? I, mean, I did say in jest that maybe the president doesn't have a News 24 subscription, so maybe he hasn't read it. Uh, I'm sure he's very well aware of, uh, of the allegations against his deputy president. But um, is this something that we have learned from before? Because if the president fires the deputy president, then he is certainly going to create two centers of power within the ANC. Can he afford to do that? Um, or is this a case of it's only once he's actually charged, according to Step Aside, that anything needs to happen to the deputy president, Paul Mashatile? What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Jeez, Mandy, this has got to be the most boring, ongoing, nowhere thing. This sends a year of trial. I mean, it, it, surely it should have been sorted out about eight years ago already. It, it's so unnewsworthy now. Hi, Mandy. I'm not sure if you've noticed uh, in Bitoa municipality, that is... Platinberg Bay, that DA coalition has now been removed. That DA coalition has now been removed. There's a new mayor now from the coalition that is led by the ANC and the Patriotic Alliance and another smaller political party whose leader was the, the speaker. So the speaker is now the mayor. That's what just happened now at Pito Municipality to Misani in Midrand. Hi, Mandy. It's Mamene in Pretoria. I think that uh, if uh, there is an opportunity for us as the members of the public to nominate the deputy public protector, I would uh, nominate uh, Hemi uh, Teresa Cronje, the advocate who headed the IDP in the NPA. I think she would be a good cabinet. I've just looked at her. Uh, track record and qualifications. I think Mr. Teresa uh, Cronier, the advocate, would fit in that position. And uh, lastly, on the issue of Bafana Bafana, we wish them well, but uh, the journey come lately, please uh, don't come to the party uh, using the back door. Thank you so much. Thank you very much uh, for those WhatsApp voice notes. Uh, Hermian Cronier as a deputy public protector. Remember, she headed up the investigating directorate, um, which is now headed up by Andrea Johnson. And a lot of tension between her and, and Shimila Batoy and between her and the Hawks. Um, so that's an interesting uh, proposal. Um, and then on that Bito municipality thing, that's like breaking news. You should be an EWN reporter. Excellent. So Gaten McKenzie's actually just tweeted about that saying bye-bye our DA in, in Bito. Um, Bito has a new mayor. Uh, PDC councillor Claude Tablanche has been elected as Bito's new executive mayor um, at its special meeting of today, considering a number of motions, one of which included a motion of no confidence in the previous mayor, 
Councillor Dave Swart of the DA. So a, a shift there. It's amazing how quickly these things can happen. Uh, but that's exactly what has happened in that municipality, which of course includes um, George and Plettenberg Bay as well. So that's very, very interesting development there. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. Well, of course, we are in an election year, which means that voter registration is also uh, underway. There's a voter registration this weekend. Home Affairs announcing that it will be extending working hours by at least two hours this weekend in order to accommodate the IEC's final voter registration drive. We're joined now by Tulani Mavuso, who's the Deputy Director General of Home Affairs. Deputy Director General, thank you for your time. Uh, Just explain this to us, uh, what exactly you've done here in terms of accommodating the voter registration drive? Well, good afternoon, Mandy, and good afternoon to the seven or two listeners. Indeed, um, the extension for two hours is actually going to be today only, uh, but uh, on Saturday and Sunday, we're going to be running from from 8 to 5 in the evening to allow those of us who have not collected their documents to be able to collect them, particularly the first-time voters, because we've got about um, 118,000 first-time voters who have not collected their documents. So we are looking forward to ensure that they come in in numbers. We'll be opening all the offices. But also, not only are we going to be um, uh, what we call allowing collection, we'll also expand services um, to other areas, including the applications for new documents. So is it only applications for new identity documents, or is it the full fleet of services? So can I come in to get a new uh, passport or death certificate or anything that you would normally do as well? Yes, we'll definitely give a full suite of service. Uh, but obviously, we want to encourage those first-time voters who need to go to the IEC to be able to register. Because, as I've said, that um, you know, there are adults who have applied for reissue um, of their IDs, but they still have the other document. Those ones, they can still utilize the other document that they've, uh, the, the green ID book, for an example, to, to register. But we encourage those that have applied for this new smart card to come collect it, including the 118,000 young people who turned 16, and some of them are 18, they've not collected to say come and collect because we definitely want to ensure that we see an election where young people also participate. Uh, Deputy DG, just, just to confirm those times, so what time will you be closing today and what times will you be opening closing Saturday, Sunday? So for Saturday uh, and Sunday, uh, uh, the closure will be at 5 o'clock. We'll, we'll be closing at 5 o'clock and then this evening uh, we'll also be closing uh, at 6 o'clock. Six o'clock. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much for, for doing that and for explaining all of that to us as well. Tulani Mavuso is the Deputy Director General at the Department of Home Affairs. So please, if you have not registered, it is crucial. You have to register. You have to vote. Every vote counts in this election. Instead of doing nothing, just go out and make sure that you're at least registered to vote. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Uh, this is Silo. I'm in Centurion. The thing of uh, ANC politicians living lifestyles of a billionaire playboy, as the DA leader has said, it's well documented. From the mayor, Figil Mbalula himself, these people, they fly in private jets, including the opposition. There's an opposition leader who fired one of, one of his PA because that PA... Uh, had taken a video of themselves of them flying in a jet. They do this all the time and they think it's okay. Hi, Mandy. I don't know if John is deliberately vague, but 
President Mbeki did not just remove uh, his then deputy Zuma um, because uh, the Bild or News 24, whichever publication the citizen published stories about the deputy, he waited for a court ruling on Shabir Sheikh where it was determined in the court that they had a generally corrupt relationship and Shabir was sentenced and that effect, in effect gave effect to the fact that... Um, uh, Mbeki then dismissed Zuma as his deputy. Thank you. Remember, there there was that that whole dispute around whether he actually said the phrase "generally corrupt" or not. But but this is the point that I was making as well: is that doesn't there need to be an actual charge against Paul Mashatile before he is removed um, by the president? Of course, uh, the president could make that decision because um, it's uh, you know he he doesn't need the charges before he asks the president to to be removed um, because he serves at the behest of of the president. Uh, but I, I hear your point: is that I think. That there needs to be actual criminal charges. I'm not sure that going to the president and saying, hey, this is not morally correct is is enough. But I do agree with the point of lifestyle audits. I think that you need to have lifestyle audits because um, it, it may have become norm and it may be an old thing that politicians are living lavish lifestyles and living excessively, but it doesn't make it okay. They still need to explain that because they are definitely not earning those kinds of salaries. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Could you be the next Deputy Public Protector of South Africa? Well, Parliament is looking for you. They want a fit and proper person with at least 10 years' experience for the job. Uh, you need to be admitted as an advocate, though, or as an attorney, and you need at least 10 years' experience practicing as an advocate or an attorney, or you maybe could have been lecturing law. It also comes with a handsome annual salary of 1.9 million rand. Bulalani Magwanishe is the Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services Chairperson. So Magwanishe, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, tell us about this process. How do you go about looking for a new Deputy Public Protector? Uh, good afternoon to you and to the viewers of 702. Thank you very much uh, for the invitation. As you have already said that we have issued... Um, an advert inviting suitably qualified people to be to apply to be interviewed for the position of public protector. What we will do after receiving the applications, we will shortlist those who on paper would qualify, and then after that, we will subject them to a um, screening process that will be done by SSA. Uh, to check criminal records and other things. And the public will also have an opportunity to comment as to whether this candidate uh, is fit to be a public protector. And we will take all that into consideration and then we will interview them. And after having interviewed them, we will suggest or recommend a candidate to the National Assembly if the National Assembly agrees with our recommendation, then it will go to the president, then the president will make the appointment. Okay, so it's a very similar process to the appointment of the public protector then as well, um, this process. Um, however, there is one difference here, because unlike the public protector, the deputy may at the end of his or her term be reappointed for another additional term. Is that right? 
That is correct. Uh, the deputy public protector is appointed for a maximum term of up to seven years, which can be renewed once. But the public protector is just a fixed term of seven years, which cannot be renewed. If somebody is interested in making themselves eligible for this position, how do they go about doing it? And is it a case of being nominated or can you apply yourself? You can apply yourself. We have, um, in our advert, uh, we, we also have indicated where you can deposit the application or the nomination um, to the Secretary of, um, of, of the Justice Committee, Mr. Ramano. Uh, you indicate uh, you indicate your interest. Uh, you give us your CV, or the person you are nominating. Uh, you nominate. You also uh, give us uh, his or her CV. Thank you very much for explaining all of that. Bulalani Magwani shares the Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services Chairperson. So that could be a nice uh, career change for you if you're interested. It's not a job without political pressure, as we have learnt, um, because if your public protector gets suspended or impeached, then the deputy becomes the acting public protector, which we've seen happen in this country before, haven't we? So you can apply for that position. Um, you can earn 1.9 million rand, but uh, you you do have to have the state security agency uh, comb through your background as well. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hello, Mandy. I think if Bafana Bafana reach a final, they must play Mali in the final. Just take revenge on them and show them that Mali was just lucky to beat us. So I think it must be Mali in the final with South Africa. We'll get to look at his thoughts on that, okay? I'll ask her in a minute when uh, when she comes in. Um, so, who do you think uh, is going to win on Saturday? Do you think it's going to be Bafana Bafana? Do you think it's going to be Cape Verde? I'm happy to take your predictions. I'm happy to take your questions, if you like, for Tolokele as well. You can send those through on a WhatsApp voice note. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Let's bring you the latest now on the fire that has been burning in the Overstrand municipality. There's a fire threatening Buffaloyachs and Purley Beach uh, that firefighters have been battling with. Uh, the Overstrand local municipality municipal manager, Dean O'Neill, joining us now. Dean, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Um, according to a report in News 24, I see that Pringle Bays had no active fire lines uh, by this morning. There um, are still burnt areas that remain hot with regular flare-ups, uh, but there's still that concern around Pearly Beach and Buffalo Yucks. So give us the latest on what's happening there. Yes, Mandy, that's indeed correct. The Pringle Bar fire has been put out. Um, still, you know, the area is just, the burnt area is just very hot still, and then our temperatures are also still high. So in, on the Pringle Bar side, we're just mopping up, making sure that there's no flare-ups, and um, our teams are on site should anything happen there. And then on the Purley Beach side that the, the fire is still burning actively there are two active lines uh, that we're going to water bomb now uh, we have two helicopters on site the spot had just landed so the uh, planning has been completed on where exactly the, the water bombing should start our objective for today is basically to put out that fire and then just over the weekend do mop-ups because I think on Sunday we they are predicting northwesterly winds coming through and that's not very good for a fire. So we want to put it out uh, today still. 
What is the status with evacuations? That Pringle Bay fires out, uh, I understand that there were evacuations there, so are people allowed back? And has um, Pilly Beach, that area, have you had to evacuate there too? Yes, we issued a, a precautionary evacuation notice last night in Pearly Beach, but it was just for the Pearly Beach resort uh, because that was closest to the fire. Uh, we were able to contain the fire before uh, you know it can come close to the resort. So eventually last night uh, we lifted the, the order. Therefore, today we haven't issued any evacuation evacuation order. So and we hope we're going to keep it that way. And Pringles Bay and Betty's Bay, that's all fine now. That's that's all fine. I like I said, you know, it's still it's, uh, still very hot. The burnt area is still very hot, and you can see some smoldering happening. Um, but our objective there is just, you know, watch it, put out any flare-ups, and make sure that the fire doesn't start again. Dean, thank you so much for that update. To Dean O'Neill, the Overstrand Municipal Manager, giving us uh, the update there. So hopefully they'll have success in uh, putting out that fire in the Pearly Beach area before uh, the winds do hit there. And uh, sure, lots of lots of hard work with this hot weather in the Western Cape with the fires that are raging. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hey, Mandy. I'm predicting Bafana Bafana against Cape Verde. One mm, zero to Bafana Bafana, or it goes through to extra time. And let's not forget about that glorious win of Man United last night. Wow, what a game! Thanks, Dave from Pretoria. Uh, afternoon, Mendy and, and the team. Um, tomorrow, Bafana Bafana will win three 0 against Cape Verde, and. Uh, proceed to to this Mm, interesting predictions always very brave Uh, Mzulu on the WhatsApp line says good afternoon listeners please let's not underestimate Cape Verde if we take a look at their group matches and the way they play Bafana have a tough assignment ahead of tomorrow's match my prediction South Africa 0 Cape Verde 1 hmm that's an interesting prediction KG you got one you got a prediction uh, I think I think they'll they'll go to extra time. Extra time penalties. Yeah, it will it will end up in it will be set up in penalties. I think. Ooh, that's a brave prediction. Okay, we'll bring you Tola Kelly's prediction in a minute as well. Sports wrap. Sports wrap with Tola Kelly Mganga. Tola Kelly, welcome. Uh, did you hear that voice note about Manchester United's excellent win last night? Excellent is not perhaps the word I would use. I can't remember the word that was used in the voice note. I'm just happy we won. That's the most important thing. Okay, so let's get straight into it. Yes. Um, we've got some some people urging listeners not to underestimate Cape Verde. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, yes. Um, and then other people saying, no, no, we'll, we, we, we're going to back our boys. We're going to do well. Uh, tell us about what the mood is like in the camp. What is uh, Hugo Bruch been saying? What's the vibe? Going into the Morocco clash, because remember Hugo Bruch did win this competition with Cameroon in 2017. He was saying... This Bafana Bafana team, they're going through the processes. They're really great at listening to him. They've adapted, especially during the group stages. We saw the three different styles of play that they have within their arsenal. So he was very confident that this team can do what the Cameroonian team did in 2017 and win the competition. And I think if you're going to beat FIFA World Cup finalists, semi-finalists, if you're going to beat the team that everybody has money on, to actually win this competition. If you're going to beat a team that had only lost one of their 12 games 
coming into that clash and you were the only other team to have beaten them within that run, the confidence must have been high. So when you go into this Cape Verde team, we're not saying they're minnows or they need to be dismissed because we know what it was like for Bafana Bafana. There's a point where we played Sawatome and we expected to beat them and then we lost. So I think Hugo Bruce, he'll tell this team that you guys did great on Tuesday. But now is another level. You have to start from scratch. And this is a Cape Verde team that have already surprised Egypt. They've already surprised Ghana. So a lot of them are on the high of the Morocco win, but very realistic to the fact that in this competition, there's no such thing as favorites. Anything can happen. That's definitely been the case. So we got a voice note from somebody saying that they hope that Bafada plays Mali in the final. Is that... Is that, a, is that even... I don't know what the other side of the draw looks like. They're the other side of the draw. I, I don't, Mali beat us the last time we played mm. them. So I think at this point, if you're going to be champions, you're going to have to beat the team that's in front of you. We'll yeah. likely play Nigeria. Yes. So let, let's not focus on the last four and the last two. Let's focus on the last eight and tomorrow night's clash against Cape Verde. Um, I, I don't want to push you for a prediction <laughs> because we know that... So let me tell you a little funny thing. Uh, on Tuesday when we were playing Morocco, I predicted the score to be 2-0 and I said there would be tears. But I also said Morocco would win. So on the afternoon drive, the listener said to me, I must be the most negative person towards this campaign and then we'll win the whole thing. So we've decided to stick with that. And as a result, Cape Verde 2-3-1. We're going to keep on the negative Nancy so we can win the cup. I mean, that's interesting, like reverse psychology. <laughs> We've already worked it out, Mandy. <laughs> we spent a whole afternoon working it out. It's the only way Bafana Bafana are going to win. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Listen, massive, massive news yesterday. You like uh, waved at me and said, breaking news, breaking news. Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari and my jaw dropped and I said, no ways. That's not happening. I think until Ferrari only announced it, Last was it 7 p.m.? 7 p.m., yeah. The whole day. The and jokes you know, were just flying. There was like no way. anything on his uh, social media. Nothing. I spent the whole afternoon going back because Sky Sports went to Brackley where the Mercedes headquarters mm. are. And they were saying from what they're hearing from the insiders, Total Wolf wasn't even in the country when the story broke to him. It's a very weird time to announce this. It's the, so unusual. Because already they were testing out the car for the new season. Do, is there maybe a possibility that when Lois saw the new car for this campaign, he was like, you know what? I'll give it one more year, but I don't think that this team long-term has enough firepower to really challenge for the title. With Ferrari, there is an argument that maybe they also need their own work. But if you look at Lewis's history with Ferrari, he's all, always loved it. Michael mm. Schumacher, he's spoken so he's lovingly he about the team. Career there. And he just wants that number eight. And I think if he looks, apart from partnering up with Max Verstappen, which is never going to happen, it's the best option for him. And I think... In his head, if he gives himself two or three years with Ferrari within that time span, he'll win an eighth. Hmm. What happens to Carlos Sainz now, I think is the question. Maybe he goes to Audi. There are so many drivers right now that I think are on, all on panic stations about where, what's our next step. But also you want to show that even though Ferrari have made this massive investment and think that they are potential contenders to the title, you also want to show them that I'm not just going to walk away and give it up to you that easily. So I think there's a lot of drivers on the grid currently that are assessing their features. Who do Mercedes partner George Russell with? Some people have George said... George Russell also Russell posted on his um, social media. 
a super shady picture of him and Carlos Sainz together. So, never know. It's going to be a fun year. It's Max Verstappen will win, but it'll be fun for the, all the other things. Exactly. <laughs> um, Six Nations starts tonight. So yes. I've been watching the Netflix series on, on the Six Nations, um, which is quite interesting because it gives you some insight mm. into behind the scenes. Someone was even saying with Netflix yesterday, they must have been so mad that the cameras are down for the most hottest day in Formula One. But the games, the, this they start tonight, starting with France up against Ireland. Of course, Ireland are the defending champions. France having come into the World Cup in so, such hot form, they will now start one to build to the 2027 World Cup. Then tomorrow we've got Italy up against England. Then on Sunday, we've got Wales against Scotland. And in the Premier League, Mandy, we've got a top of the table clash. Liverpool up against Arsenal. Of course, we know with Liverpool between now and the end of the season, the story is of Jurgen Klopp's long farewell after this long campaign with this team. But more importantly, can they get the three points that will extend their lead at the top of the table? And maybe he can end his tenure with the Reds with another Premier League title. Sure, it would be amazing if, if Klopp ended with a, a Premier League title. But let's, let's see what happens. You never know in sport. Tolokere, thank you so much for all of that. Good things. Good things. With Brent Lindeke. Brent Lindeke, the good things guy, wrapping up our Friday for us. And if you were listening last week, uh, Brent surprised me and came into studio and then made everyone cry, including himself. Brent, so we've put you back on the phone lines today. <laughs> happy Friday, man. And happy Friday to all of the Cape Talk and 702 listeners. I promise I'm going to try not to cry today or make you cry either. I don't mind if you cry. It's okay. It's okay. You've got some <laughs> great uh, good news stories for us. Uh, tell us about... Um, Piet conquering the world's toughest row back to land legs at last. Tell us about Piet Bortma. Oh, what a great story. It's been a lifetime of experiences packed into just weeks for Piet Bortma, also known as the Freedom Rower, after he embarked on the world's toughest row, um, a challenge true to its title. It's a solo adventure that saw him rowing just under 5,000 kilometers. And what began as a bold and extraordinary expression of humility in early December finally came to an end last weekend. Um, Piet arrived at the dockyard in Antigua, I hope I'm saying that right, where he was met with supporters and his family. Uh, it took him 45 days, man, all alone on the sea, and, and he made it in, in competing and finishing the world's toughest row. So well done, Piet, I think from all of our South Af- from all of South Africa. Our sportsmen, in all their rights, are just doing great things for our country right now. They really are, and it's so amazing to, to see that flag flying high and just celebrating in, in, in just every sport at the moment. Um, the story about Vuyokazi is just a classic South African story, like a rags-to-riches story, but a beautiful story of entrepreneurship as well. Um, tell us about Vuyokazi, who is living off uh, slices of bread and is now a proud businesswoman? Man, she was living off a slice of bread for almost or just over two years. She had lost her job. She couldn't find a job. She was struggling to provide for herself and her children. Um, But she found hope through a business that we've spoken about on the show before. It's called Taking Care of Business. It's a non-profit organization aimed at empowering unemployed women. And um, thanks to a little bit of kindness, they had the, the TCB, as they know, in Taking Care of Business, held an open day uh, in the Western Cape, and, and Vuyokazi didn't even have enough money to get a taxi to get to the open day. But thanks to kind strangers, uh, neighbors, her community, they put together a bit of money, helped her get to that open day where she was accepted as one of the, the sort of people that are going to join the program. They gave her skills. They helped her with management skills, business skills, uh, helped her buy stock to start her, her new business where she would be an entrepreneur herself. And after two years of struggling 
so difficult in her life, uh, again, looking after her kids. She now has her own business, but not just a business. She owns a shop and a couple of stores where she sells her product. And, um, and she's making good money and she's, you know, empowering other people in the process as well. She's got an outreach program to help other women and girls in need. So she's giving back after she uh, was living off bread slices uh, for two years. I love these incredible stories of, of entrepreneurs and how, how you, can, you can raise someone up um, through, through just mentorship and, 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 and incubating like that. It's beautiful. Thank you. Um, and then, listen, we, we know about Musa Mota um, from uh, his previous experiences on America's Got Talent, but he's back again and he's wowing judges. Tell us about this. So, uh, America's Got Talent is back in 2024. I don't think it's hit South African screens yet, but it is available on YouTube. It's not just America's Got Talent this year. There's something called Fantasy League, where the four judges got to choose, um, I think it was a pool of 100 different performances, and they got to choose like their team that they wanted to take forward. The only South African to be chosen to come back was Musa, and we remember him. He was that young kid who wanted to be a soccer player. He lost his leg due to cancer, and he started dancing. And he was on the Got Talent series in 2023, and he's back in 2024. Simon Cowell is his judge, so Simon Cowell chose him to be part of his team. And um, good old Simon has said that Musa might possibly be the one to win this America's Got Talent. Uh, he performed, I think it was a week and a half ago, and, and I said I wasn't going to crown the show this week. I'm going to try not to. The, the performance will leave you in tears. It's powerful. Um, it shows the strength and resilience of this young South African. And again, South Africa applauds our talent doing so much good around the world. Brenty, thank you for always bringing us uh, just happy stories, happy good news stuff, uh, telling us about South Africans doing great things and just reminding us. And if you haven't seen the video yet that Brent's also been talking about on social media uh, of um, that nice English lady climbing through the window of her, <laughs> of her house. That's on your social media, right? Yeah, it's on my social media. Good laugh, good laugh. So that, that story started going viral yesterday. I think I received it a hundred times on WhatsApp. I'm sure most people have seen it. I feel sorry for that poor lady who was climbing through the window, but she has given the world a good laugh. It's exactly what I was thinking. She just made everyone laugh. She brought us so much joy. So um, go check out Brent's socials if you, if you haven't, because I've received that video about 10 times as well. So thanks for that. Brent, have a lucky weekend. You too. And as I always say, every single Friday to all of the listeners and to the team in the studio, wishing you guys only good things. Only good things. Brent Lindekew, the founder of The Good Things Guy.